Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading Where the River Begins by Patricia Sanjin with permission of Moody Publishing Company, and we are reading Chapter 14, The Swan. It was a very great relief to Francis when he went back to school to get rid of Tyken's body. Their shadows no longer haunted the playground, and the teacher found him quite changed. A month's freedom from fear and anxiety had made a big difference in him. He had put on some weight and was alert and attentive in the class. In short, he was happy. And night by night, he was learning more and more the wonderful stories of Jesus, whom he knew had come to live in his heart, although he had not yet discovered what difference that made. He knew he was happier, but then there was, were other reasons for that. Mom was getting better, and Tyke was out of the way, and Kate had become quite friendly and motherly. And over and above all, there was the river. His love for the river grew as the days lengthened into summer, and he would wander off after tea, sometimes with Martin and sometimes alone, to launch the little boat or to wade over to the Reed Islands. On Saturday, Ron would join them, and they would run along to the special swimming place and swim lazily with the current and then scamper out and run it back along the bank and dive in again. Martin and Chris, who had lived all their lives by the river, sometimes wondered why Francis found it so exciting and would go off and do something else. But Francis spent nearly all of his spare time in, on, or by the river. He woke one morning because the sun was shining right through the open window into his face. It had just appeared over the rising wheat fields, and Francis knew that it must be very early, too early to wake Martin. He stuck his head out far out and looked around. When the cows were not stirring, yet another bird in, in Worcestershire seemed to be fluking and twittering and caroling in the apple trees. He thought that if he went very quietly into the yard, he might see them all sitting in rows. He slipped on his clothes and his sandals, and he let himself out the front door. He could not see the birds, and yet they, they were all around him in the lilac and the apple boughs. The yard lay in shadow, and the grass was cold and heavy with dew and cobwebs. The mist still lay on the river, tangled in the alder, otters and weeping will, willows. Everything looked strange and mysterious, and Francis walked very softly, almost as though he were afraid to disturb the unawakened world. He ran along the, the bank as fast as he could because he wanted to go a, a long way. No one would mind his being late for breakfast on Saturday, but he might not be, be late too late because Ram was coming. The sun soon caught up with him, stealing down across the fields, turning the dew to silver, setting the buttercups alight and scattering the mist. The shadow of the trees lay, lay across the river, and he thought he could run for a long, long way past where the streams met and not turn back until he reached the bridge in the next village. He had never been further downstream than that before. But the morning was so bracing and the sunshine so golden that he seemed to reach the bridge in no time, running all the way because he felt so strong and light and the church clock rising above the yew trees always pointed to seven o'clock. He could run. He would run on and on, further than he'd ever been before, and find out where the river went next. The countryside seemed wilder beyond the bridge, and the river was mostly hidden by the thick hazel bushes. Woods came down almost to the banks, deep woods where the ferns had sprung up above the dying bluebells and the cockatoos called incessantly. He was thinking of turning back when suddenly the banks receded. The river broadened, and he found himself in a reedy, shadow, shallow place with little gravel beaches and marshy backwaters where the rushes grew. It was an interesting place where the gnats danced on the surface of the water and the first swallows skimmed the water pools. 
He sat down under a weeping willow, for the morning was already hot, and looked about him. Then he saw her coming, a magnificent white swan. Turning her head from left to right, and Francis cowed behind the tree, for he knew that swans can be very fierce. She did not seem to see him, and she scented danger and, and made a strange hissing sound. And then she floated to the edge of the current in among the reeds, walking across the beach and into the backwater. Francis crept from his hiding place and lay flat on the grass and peeped over the edge of the bank. And there was a nest, roughly built in the hollow in the rushes, and on the nest lay four green-white eggs. Francis was thrilled. He had found it. He alone, the nest that Martin had so often talked about. He wanted one of those eggs more than anything else in the world. So at, at that moment, but no, no one need know. They would think it was a terrible crime at the farm to take a swan's egg. But he need not tell them. He could hide it under his clothes in his drawer, and on Monday he would take it to school and show his friends. It was a wonderful, rare thing to find a swan's nest. But unless he took the egg, who would ever believe him? Of course he would have to wait till the swan moved, and she was now sitting firmly on her nest. But if he could alarm her a little and disturb the water, she might go away. He forgot all about breakfast in the time, and he even forgot about Rom. He thought he would wait forever if he could hold that warm, smooth egg in his hands. He waited so long and lay so still that he almost fell asleep to the chatter of the shallow river, and suddenly he was jerked awake, for the swan had risen, stretched out her gleaming wings, and she pushed through the reeds and launched herself on the stream. Just a little wiggle there, and, and he would seize that egg. But while he was actually stretching out his hand, something happened. He knew it was wrong, and he suddenly did not want to do that. And that was a strange feeling, for he had never minded doing wrong before, if it was something he wanted to do badly. It was such a queer feeling that he drew back his hand and lay looking at the swan and thinking how beautiful she was. And suddenly he discovered he cared about that swan, and he did not want her to come back and find her egg gone. And that was strange, too, because he had never been minded hurting animals before. He wanted to come back himself and share her joy and watch the eggs hatch into the nestlings and show them to Martin and Chris and Rom. He got up and started running in the direction of home, knowing that he was different and wondering what happened to him. It must be something to do with Jesus in my heart, he thought. I, I suppose that's how he talks to me. I suppose if I listen, he'll always make me mind doing bad things. And he knew that somehow those clear streams of love and happiness had started to flow. He thought he had never felt so happy before, nor run so fast. Wet and dirty, he burst onto the family members who were still waiting at their late Sunday, uh, Saturday breakfast. I found a swan's nest with four eggs, he shouted. Who wants to come and see? Everybody wanted to see it, so they took a picnic lunch to the place, and Mom and Dad bringing the food in the car and the children walking. It was a glorious sun-drenched day, and Francis's happiness overflowed as he led them one by one to the backwaters and the reeds. And late that evening, when Rom had gone home, Auntie Allison found him sitting quietly on the steps, stroking whiskers. You're getting, you're getting like your namesake, she said, sitting down beside him. You and your nest and your cat. Who's my namesake, asked Francis. Don't you know? It's a beautiful name. Francis of Assisi lived about 700 years ago in Italy. He loved birds and other wild animals so much he used to go out into the fields and preach to them. He say, they say that they all used, used to come close to him and listen. I don't believe it. How can birds listen? 
I don't expect they did, but it looked like it, like it, and the people in the in those days believed it. I expect his heart was so full of love of God that it flowed, just flowed, and everyone felt it, even the birds and the animals. Like you said, like rivers flowing out. Will you show me that book tomorrow? Yes, I'll find the part you'll understand. Now come in, it's bedtime. Then he lingered a little longer with his cheek resting on Whiskers' fur, listening to the song of the river and the same gurgling water that he could hear washing the roots of the altars would flow down under the bridge to the water backwater where the swans sat with folded wings. How glad he felt that she was sitting on four warm eggs. And tomorrow we'll read chapter 15. It is the last chapter before we start the next book, and it is called The Homecoming. I love you, and I'm praying for you, and I'm really enjoying reading this book to you, and I hope you're enjoying it too as well. Lord bless you, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.